The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hey, this is Jeremiah from Remnant Church. We want you to be encouraged and filled with hope for your experience as you listen in. This life can be complicated, even confusing, but it's our hope that you catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for you and His purpose for your life. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremiah Vick. So Chris is practicing the dance. So there's a dance that goes with the song. You guys didn't know that, did you? There's not really a dance, but uh, we're making one up so that we can... I think on our last, very last message in this series, then we should, you know, do a little... What would be a uh, Swedish or Dutch line dance, uh, country line dance? I don't know. Anyway, we'll figure it out. We'll get it done. Um, and I'm excited. <laughs> and I'm excited because uh, as we've been working our way through this series, I feel like... Um, I, I get this feeling every time we do the family series at Remnant, um, like maybe, maybe God just hits us harder during the family series because we all have family issues, there's all stuff. And when we came up with this idea for talking about the imperfect family, you know, we, we, everybody wants to strive for the perfect family, right? That's, that's our goal. At least it should be your goal. If your goal is like the mediocre family, then you're probably not that interested in what we have to say. But if your goal is a perfect family, then, uh, then to, to think of an imperfect family, you're like, okay, that's, that's where I want to run away from. That's, that's what I don't want to be a part of. But the truth is that that's exactly what we're all part of. I mean, you just take a moment, maybe in your own mind, and just think about what's going on in your family right now. I mean, like any circumstance, and your mind is automatically going to go to the bad circumstances first, but that's okay because we all have them, and that's kind of what this whole idea of imperfect is all about is that there's parts of our lives that are pretty messed up, and so we can't really get along without God. We can't um, navigate this whole family um, dynamic without God. We need Him to be a part of it. So that's what this series is all about. And and today, um, the title of my message is The Real Deal. The Real Deal. So I think for a while, didn't didn't Coca-Cola have like, uh, like their... Wasn't that like their tagline for a while, the real deal or something like that? Or was the real thing. Okay, well, that's close enough, right? Yeah, if I, I'm not a marketing person, so I've been, I would have signed off on that too. Um, but the idea is that there's this uh, imitation or this artificial version of something. And so when you say something's the real deal, you're saying, oh, this is better than the imitation, right? This is nothing like the counterfeit. This is the actual real thing, um, so my son is interested in, like, coins. He's interested in, in uh, collecting, you know, coins. And, and this, he had this windfall recently. Uh, so somebody gave him, like, a box of old coins and money, like paper money, from, like, all over the world. And, and it was super exciting for him, and I think for my wife as well. And my youngest son just wanted to, like, throw the coins around, right? But they kind of laid everything out on the living room floor, and they were, like, so excited about it. And, and my son, you know, a lot of the money, the value of this money, because it's from other countries, is, is not very high here in the U.S., right? When you think dollar to dollar. And so he would pick up some of these coins, and he would just be like, it's the real thing, right? He would be like, I think it's made out of real gold or, you know, real whatever. And so, you know, he, he would even, I think, did the thing where he, like, 
you know, bit it to make sure. Um, but anyway, but he was so excited because he's like, I got the real deal here. It's all real stuff. And I think we should get excited too, knowing that we have access to the real deal. So um, I'm going to start out by just saying up front that Jesus is the real deal, okay? So I don't want you to think that you're going to find satisfaction, that you're going to find happiness, that you're going to find um, anything that, that is going to add value to your life anywhere else besides Jesus. Um, my point is that Jesus is the one that actually makes our lives better, right? He's the one that he gives us purpose. He, he, he adds that authenticity to our lives because he's the real deal. And when we think about the family and what that means for us as we try to be the families that God wants us to be, we try to be the families that, that bring honor to God, um, how can we be the real deal, okay? So we have Jesus, who is our example. He's the real deal. But we want our families to be the real thing, right? We, we don't want imitations of what families should be like. We don't want this artificial version of it. We want to have the real thing. Am I right? I mean, that, that should be our, our goal that we're striving for. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 12. So if you have Bibles, you can flip to Romans 12. And then if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. But um, I'm going to read this passage, and we'll pray, and we'll jump into this and see all that God has for us. So we're, we're in Romans chapter 12. By the way, Romans 12 is such a great chapter. I, did I say this about every chapter I preach from? I probably do. But uh, <laughs> Romans 12 really, man, is so packed with such good stuff for us as we are figuring out what it's like to, to walk this Christian life. And so um, we're going to start with verse 9 as we read from Romans chapter 12. So Romans 12 9 through 18, it says, Be sincere in your love for others. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Be devoted to each other like a loving family and take delight in honoring each other. Don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy to serve the Lord. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, Be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Ask God to bless everyone who mistreats you. Ask him to bless them and not to curse them. When others are happy, be happy with them. And when they're sad, be sad. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Don't mistreat someone who has mistreated you, but try to earn the respect of others and do your best to live at peace with everyone. So Father, as we look at this passage today, we're just reading it, we already, we already know we're in trouble. There's some things here, God, that we really need to work on that you're going to have to show us what it looks like to put these things into practice and God, as we, um, <clears throat> we just get ready to, to dive into your word and discover what it means together, I pray, Father, you would just guide our thoughts right now, Father, that as we, um, as we read your words and as we talk about what they mean to us and as we try to um, figure out how we can apply these things to our lives, God, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that we wouldn't miss anything that you have for us today, God. And above all, Father, I just pray that... Um, as I speak, my words would be your words today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the real deal. 
What's that all about? Let's, let's jump right in. I actually have, shouldn't tell you this up front, but I have a ton of stuff to go through. I, I was looking at my notes and I'm like, oh crud, I have so much content that I want to give you. So we're going to kind of move a little bit quickly at some point. Um, and then I was handing my notes to Jerry and I'm like, oh, this feels like a manuscript. It's like so heavy. So anyway, um, let's, let's jump right in and see what God has for us. So um, the passage starts out with this statement, be sincere in your love for others. And I believe what God is telling us is let your love be authentic. Let your love be authentic. And there's two key words in this passage that are, that are brought out when this, with this idea of, of having authentic love, okay? And the two words are transparent and discerning. Transparent and discerning. So let's talk about these words. Um, sincere in your love for others. Sincere. The word sincere in the Greek means unfeigned, without hypocrisy, not just playing the part. Okay? So sincerity means it's not artificial, it's not just for show, it's, it's the real thing. But what happens to us is that we learn how to love people from people, for the most part. We learn how to apply love from the people that applied love to us. And so we get it kind of messed up, right? Um, and so we start to love people out of, um, out of convenience. We start to love people because there's something that, that we can get out of this relationship. Sometimes we just start to we, we love people because it makes us feel better. And so there's a lot of reasons why we show love to people that are not the right motivation. Does that make sense? So, so if we're going to be authentic, if we're going to be the real deal, then um, we need to stop loving people the way the world teaches us to love people. See, when we love others out of convenience, obligation, or because we have something to gain, we are loving them artificially. If we love people because it's a convenient thing to do, or because we feel like it's something we have to do, or because maybe we're going to get something from that person, that's an artificial kind of love. That's not the kind of love that God talks about in his word. Um, as a matter of fact, the Bible says that, that we prove who we are by the way that we love. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 6. It says, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, and by our sincere love. So people know who we are. They understand our character by the way we love each other. Loving like God means we sincerely want what's best for others and we have no hidden motives. Let me just come out right out and say that it is so hard to love somebody without any hidden motives. Because even sometimes when we want what's best for somebody else, there's a hidden motive in there. Because our love for somebody might, might be driven by, you know, I want this person to be a better person so that they'll treat me better. Have you ever loved somebody and tried to treat somebody better because you wanted them to treat you better? I mean, that's, that's probably one of our number one reasons for showing love to someone is because we expect that love to be reciprocated in some way, right? But if we're going to love someone sincerely, it's, it's, we don't, there's no hidden motives behind our love. We simply love them unconditionally the way that God loves us. So the second key word I talked about is discerning. Love is, is discerning, and uh, look what it says in the second part of verse 9. It says, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. And, and this term, hold tightly, some versions say, use the word cling, cling to what is good. 
it means this. It literally means, in the Greek, to glue or cement together. I mean, we're talking about a permanent bond, right? You ever had a glue that didn't stick right? You ever been, you know, putting something together with glue and you're just like, oh man, I hope this holds and then it ends up coming apart. And you know, things always come apart at the wrong time. Um, the other day I had, I have a, a cane collection. This is kind of sad, I know. But I collect canes and I collect pipes, like smoking pipes, only I don't, you know, smoke anything weird in those pipes. But, uh, but I have, someone once told me that I was all ready for old age because I have all the canes and pipes that I need, right? Um, so I had this one cane, and, and, it, and a lot of my canes come from different places around the world, and sometimes people will buy one for me, and they'll bring it to me, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Where's it from? They'll tell me a little bit about it. Well, the other day, I was trying to trim a palm branch out in front of our house, and so I got this cane, and I, I went to pull the, the palm branch down closer to me so I could reach it, and I could clip it with the clippers, and, and as I reached up and pulled it down, the top of the cane, the crook of the cane, came off. And I'm like... <gasps> I broke it, right? And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, from Africa or something. You know, someone had, I didn't even know what the story was behind this particular cane, but I'm like, oh, man, I broke it. So I glued it back together. Like, I used wood glue, and I'm like, this is going to hold, right? And, and so just to make sure they held, I also used scotch tape because I'm like, if wood glue is not going to be good enough, then scotch tape will be, right? And so, so I, got the, I got the cane, and I just totally forgot about it. I put it away, and I just forgot about it. And it was like a month or two months later, I got that same cane out, and I was trying to get something out from under the couch. I'm already putting these canes to good use, okay? I don't have to wait for old age. So I'm, like, trying to get something out from under the couch, and I get it hooked on the leg of the couch, and I pull it, and it comes apart again. I'm like, what is the deal with this dang cane? What country did it come from, right? What is going on with this thing? So this time, I used Gorilla Glue when I glued that bad boy. Yeah, have you used Gorilla Glue before? Don't get it on your fingers. Yeah, that stuff... That stuff cements things together. That cane has not come apart since. My, my point is this, that God wants us to cling to that which is good, like Gorilla Glue. He wants us to be stuck on what is good. And here's the thing, you guys. You've heard that expression before, love is blind. Have you heard that? You know, and people usually say that when they make bad decisions in relationships, right? <laughs> It's like the fallback phrase, right? They're like, oh, well, love is blind, right? I, I didn't see all these problems, okay? Here's the thing. I want you to know about love. Love is not blind. Love is not blind. Love is discerning. Um, <clears throat> love doesn't ignore wrongdoing, but it sticks to a standard of holiness. That's what it means to cling to what is good. So love doesn't ignore the things that are wrong. Love doesn't pretend that those things don't exist. I've known people that were stuck in relationships where they pretended like nothing was wrong. And they called that love. That, that's not love, that's ignorance. That's not being naive. That's, uh, uh, what's, what's the word, that key word that people use now when, when, they, when you encourage someone to do something wrong or you're giving them the ability to do something wrong? You guys know what I'm talking about? What is it? No, that's not it, but that's also a word for discussion. What? Empowering. I was thinking empowering, but that's, there's like an even worse word than that. Um, but, the, but my whole point is that when you allow something to go on and that shouldn't be happening, you're enable, enabling. That's the word I was looking for. I was going to use it anyway. Yes, you're enabling. And, and so enabling somebody to continue to do wrong is not love. That is not loving a person. I'm just going to be completely frank with you guys today. 
not that I'm, I'm not ever frank with you, but it is never loving someone to allow them to continue to do the wrong thing. That's not love. That's not love. And so if we're going to love authentically, we need to cling to what's good, and the Bible also says we need to hate what is evil. Don't hate the person, but what they're doing that is wrong, have such a hatred for that thing that you don't want it to be in their lives. That's what it means to be discerning about the way you love people. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 says, Love, it does not rejoice over evil, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So love doesn't throw a party when something bad happens, right? Or love doesn't even say it's okay when something bad happens. But love celebrates when the truth wins out. That's authentic love. Let's look back at our passage. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to each other like a loving family and take delight in honoring each other. I believe what God is telling us here is let your love be visible. Let your love be visible. And there's two key words that come to mind as I think about this idea of your love being visible. And the first one is bold. And the second one is selfless. Bold and selfless. Look what it says in verse 10. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. The word devoted in the Greek is philostorgos. And it means mutual tender affection. Openly displayed love between parent and child, husband and wife. So this, is a, this word for devotion here is a display of love. Okay, it is love that can be seen, love that can be witnessed. I've said this more than once. Don't just assume that the people in your life know that you love them. Don't just assume that they know you love them. Because chances are they have doubts. And if your love is visible, if your love is on display for them, they are going to know that you love them. That's how God, the Bible says God displays his love for us. If we're going to love like God, our love must be on display at all times. If we're going to love people the way God loves us, our love is going to be on display at all times. I love what John Piper says about marriage. He says, staying married is not about staying in love. It's about keeping promises and putting the glory of Christ's covenant-keeping love on display. How many times have you heard that you got to stay in love in order to stay married? Those of you who are married, you've been married for some time, there are moments in your marriage, and I'm not going to say it happens a lot, but maybe it does, there are moments in your marriage where you are not in love with your spouse. Okay? Am I being a little too honest here? There are, there are times in your relationship where you do not love your spouse. You're, I mean, like, you're not in love with them, right? I mean, if they were to, like, to bring you flowers, you'd probably rip them up or throw them in their face, right? I mean, there, there's points in your relationship where you're like, no, this is not happening. We are not in love. But that doesn't mean that you're not in a covenant relationship. Okay? So those feelings that well up inside of you that say, I'm in love with a person, those are the, not the things you depend upon to decide if everything's okay in your relationship. Because sometimes things are not okay in your relationship, but, but God is still calling you to love that person. 
<clears throat> so love has to be bigger than that. It has to be above and beyond the feeling of being in love. Love needs to be on display. Love needs to be seen. It needs to be witnessed. There needs to be evidence of love. If there's only evidence of love in those moments where you feel in love, there's something wrong with your relationship. If those are the only times where somebody knows that you love them is when you're both getting along, there's something wrong in your relationship. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So if the world can see that you love each other, it has to be visible. Am I right? So this isn't just an in-house thing. This is something that everybody can see, and it's so important. Um, parents, it is of utmost important that your children see you display love for your husband or wife. That is so vital to a healthy family dynamic that kids feel the security and safety of the love of their parents, the love that their parents have for each other. Okay? So that's bold, love, selfless. The other key word was selfless. Second part of verse 10 says, and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. Loving selflessly means looking for opportunities to place the comfort and needs of others above your own. That's what it means to love somebody in a selfless way. To put their needs, their comfort, in front of your own. I love how it's worded in Philippians 2, 3 through 4 in the message. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own way. You know what's wrong in relationships today? Everybody wants their own way. Everybody wants their own way. I mean, think about the relationships you have with people, maybe not even just your spouse or boyfriend and girlfriend, but relationships in your life. And think of one relationship where you don't care about getting your own way. Does, does that relationship even exist in your life? I mean, if we're, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we probably have to say, no, there's not a relationship in my life where I don't want my own way. Even if my own way is just that there would be happiness and peace in this relationship, right? We, we want our own way. It's, it's, it's a natural tendency for us to want to have our own way in relationships. But God is telling us that's not loving selflessly. We need to put ourselves aside and we need to love in a way that puts others' needs ahead of ours. Let's look back at our passage. Verse 11 says, Don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy to serve the Lord. Don't be lazy. I, there's three key words that I want to talk about in this idea of letting your love be enthusiastic. Let your love be enthusiastic. That's the next thing that I believe God is telling us here. And the three key words are determined, passionate, and prayerful. Determined, passionate, and prayerful. If you're taking notes at this point, you're probably like already two-thirds of the way down your page. You might want to flip it over, 
You're ready to write on the other side because there's a bunch of stuff here. So let's talk about this. It says, don't be lazy in showing your devotion. The, the word lazy in some versions says <clears throat> lacking in zeal. Lacking in zeal. And the Greek word spude means readiness, diligence, great determination and purpose. That's what it means to have zeal, to not be lazy in showing your devotion. <clears throat> you know what happens when your love becomes lazy? Lazy love leads to complacency, and relationships cannot survive under those conditions. If you have a lazy love, your relationship will die. What, what does a lazy love look like? Well, sometimes we, we think, because the world teaches us this, that if it's the right person, love is going to be pretty effortless, right? Like, you've heard the, the term, there's chemistry there, you know? And so somehow you think that there's like this natural thing that happens where love just, you know, is just a thing that, that comes along, right? When the relationship, it's the right people coming together. That, that's, that is a fairy tale, guys. Don't, don't believe it. I mean, that makes a great bedtime story, right? I could fall asleep hearing that. But if someone were to tell you love is going to be hard work and if you slack off at all, your love, your relationship is going to go in the toilet. Like, that's not what you want to hear, right? You don't want to hear that it's hard work. I'm pretty sure when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God in the Garden of Eden and God said, okay, from now on, you're going to have to work really hard and you're going to sweat a lot. I'm pretty sure they were like, oh no, that means we're moving to the Imperial Valley, right? But, but, but that was not good news for them. They're like, this is going to be work? This is going to be hard? This is not going to be effortless? You mean we can't just hang out together and love is going to be in the air, right? The birds are going to be singing. And, you know, it's like, that's fairy tale stuff, guys. That's not how love is. Love is hard work. Love requires intentionality. It requires some sweat and some tears, unfortunately. Love is hard work. The second key word was passionate. Verse 11, next part says, use your energy to serve the Lord. Use your energy to serve the Lord. This word energy, some versions use the word fervor. Fervor. With alert, the word literally means to boil. Right? When something is hot enough and it begins to boil, pressure increases. You know what I'm talking about? You ever try to like, keep up a lid on a boiling pot, right? I mean, if the temperature's up too high, the, the lid is going to just pop right off, right? And, and this is the idea behind this energy that God wants us to have in our relationship, not just our relationship with each other, but our relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Here's that word again. You know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Let the passion that God has placed in your heart come to a boil. And let it bubble out. That's what it means to be enthusiastic in your work for the Lord. Here's the thing, guys. As families, 
we must be regularly engaged in a passionate pursuit of God's calling on our lives. So that, that boiling passion for God needs to be on display in our families. It needs to be a, a, a teamwork effort. The family needs to come together. Their passions need to unite in serving God. Let me just say this, the the happiest families that I know, the families that are the most at peace, the families where there's the most synergy, are those families that are serving God together. Because God blesses that. God blesses your relationship when you're serving God together. Next key word, the third key word was prayerful. Look what it says in verse 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Keep on praying. You know, it's God's slogan, keep on praying, was around long time before that became a bumper sticker, right? Keep on praying. If we're going to have joy in times of hope, and push through difficult times, we must make prayer a priority. I was just talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about how it's easy to pray, it's easy to have that connection with God when everything's right. Things are going good in your life when you can pay the bills, when you're not fighting. Like those are the times where, you know, having that joy is, is easy. It's easy to pray when you're joyful. But when things get troublesome, when the waters start to stir and things start to go south, it's like, it's like God is our 911, right? It's like, why, why is God our 911 instead of like, you know, the number we call all the time? Like, how often do you call 911? Let's just be honest here. On your cell phone, when is the last time you dial? Do you dial 911 once a week? Maybe you do if you're a little cuckoo, right? But, I mean, for the most part, that's like an emergency number, and, and you stay away from it unless the situation is dire, and then you dial that. Guys, that is not, that is not how our relationship with God should be. God should not be our 911 call. God should be our, our morning wake-up call. God should be our, our afternoon pickup call. You get what I'm saying? God should be our, before I lay my body down to sleep, call. God shouldn't just be for emergencies. We need to learn how to, to take all those moments in life and, and transform them into prayer. What happens when we don't take those moments, those ordinary, average moments in our day and turn them into prayer? They, they become something else, right? They become moments of, of worry and anxiety, and then all of a sudden it's like that's all we have to offer God. Um, Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Guys, as families, prayer should be the number one priority. Should be the number one spiritual discipline in the life of your family. Let's look back at our passage. Verse 13 says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
Always be eager to practice hospitality. In other words, let your love be generous. Let your love be generous. There's three key words here. Giving, forgiving, and compassionate. It uses this word hospitality in verse 13. The word hospitality. We've talked about this word before. The word means, uh, the word is um, philoxenia, and it means, philo means brotherly love. Xenia means stranger. So the word means loving a stranger like family. Loving a stranger like family. Practicing hospitality means we reach out to others in need as if they were members of our own family. So just last night, or early this morning, we'll call it early this morning because it was an ungodly hour, um, I was leaving my office. It's all done studying, all done, ready for today. And, and I was leaving my office, and there was a guy sitting outside of my office. And I'm like, does he know what time it is? Because it is super late. And, uh, and, and so I, my first thought was, um, I'm just going to go straight to the car, take off. You know, I'm just going to walk by him and, you know, not going to talk to him. But he's, he was sitting there, he looked pretty bummed out. And, uh, and so I'm like, oh, man, God, are you going to make me stay up later? Yes, you are. <laughs> so I, I go over to him, and I'm just like, hey, man, is everything okay? And he's like, no. I'm like, like as if I was expecting him to say, yeah, man, things are cool. I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> it's just 3 in the morning. I like to hang out in front of this office. No, I, so I, I knew what he was going to say. So I'm like, is everything okay? And he's like, no, things are not okay. So I could just got in a fight with my good friend, and, and now I'm like, out here on the street, I live way on the other side of town, I just want to get home, and I'm so tired, I want to walk, and he's like, I'm already feeling bad, and I'm already a little bit high, you know, so he's like, I got all these crazy stuff going on, and so as I get closer to him, he's like, hey, I know you, and I'm like, yeah, I know you too, so we, we kind of talked, and we, we realized that we knew each other because he used to help with our ministry, he was part of another ministry that would come, and they would help us out, and so as I'm talking to him, he's just like, man, he's like, I'm glad it's you, because he's like, life has just been downhill since I, I left this, this ministry and, and, uh, and things are just going terrible. And he just like starts telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, let's talk in the car. <laughs> and so we get in the car. I drive him to his house. And, and it was it really, I was like, man, talk about God appointments. Like, I mean, that's, that appointment would have never happened, right, if maybe I had studied earlier in the day. But the main thing is that that appointment, I mean, that was like a God thing, right? God totally set that up. And, and there was a, a time where I was able to minister to someone, to reach out to someone in need. I didn't have any money I could give them at the time. I didn't have, you know, any way to, to physically, but I could give them a ride across town. And I prayed with them and told them, hey, man, here's my phone number. Give me a call if you need someone to talk to. Guys, sometimes it just takes reaching out to someone and saying, what can I do? What can I do for you? What what?" What can, I, what can I add to your life right now? What is it that you need right now? And I know, I know that is the most inconvenient thing to do. If you want to inconvenience yourself, just help somebody, right? I mean, it's, it's always going to inconvenience you. But God is in that. God honors that. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's about taking a stranger, someone, well, in this case it was someone I thought was a stranger, but turned out it was someone I knew. But showing that person kindness, just like they're a part of your family, that's what it means to, to be 
hospitable towards people. Hebrews, 11, or Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When you share something with somebody, when you give of what you have to help somebody else out, that is pleasing to God. That's like offering a sacrifice to God. 1 Timothy 6, 18 says, Be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So the Bible doesn't tell us that we should pursue a wealthy lifestyle, right? God's not saying, go out and get rich so you can give people money. No, he's saying, be rich in good works. Let your wealth be the way you treat other people. Let that be the thing in your bank account, right? The good, the goodness that you're giving other people. And whether that happens to be a way to help them financially, maybe that's a part of it, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just being there for somebody when they need it. Second word was forgiving. The, verse 14 says, ask God to bless everyone who mistreats you. Ask him to bless them and not to curse them. That's a hard thing to do, right? Somebody mistreats you, your first thought is, well, I'm going to pray for this guy, right? No, your first thought is, I think I want to smack this guy, right? That's, that's the actual thought. But God's like, no, turn that anger that you're feeling towards that person, that animosity, turn it around and turn it into a prayer for that person. And maybe the first time you do that, your prayer is going to be like, God, um, maybe uh, you do something here, right? I mean, maybe your first prayer is not going to be, sound very godly. It's not going to be very holy. But if you make that a habit, if that becomes a rhythm in your life where when someone mistreats you, you lift them up in prayer, God's going to work through that. He's going to do something, not just in your heart, but in that person's heart as well. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5, 44 and 45. He says, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Then you will be acting like your Father in heaven. You want to be like God? You want to be like your Father? Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that mistreat you. Nothing goes against our human nature more. But we're most like Jesus when we're showing our enemies love. Do you remember what Jesus did? Do you remember the greatest sacrifice, the greatest act of love that Jesus ever did? was going to the cross. And every step of the way to the cross, Jesus had to love his enemies. Because he was going to die for those people that were beating him. He was going to that cross to, to sacrifice his life for the people that were insulting him, for the people that were, that were ripping out his beard, the people that were beating him. Jesus was going to the cross to die for them. You can't show more love for your enemy than to offer to die for them. Who does that? Only God. Only God does that. But God wants us to love our enemies. He wants us to treat our enemies with respect and with the kind of love that he has for us. The third key word was compassionate. There's an interesting verse here, verse 15. When others are happy, be happy with them. And when they're sad, be sad. Does that remind you of anybody? I, you have somebody in your life that's like that, right? When someone's happy, they're happy. When someone's sad, they're sad. You know, you have someone that's like, you know, what do we call that? They're really tuned in, fine-tuned into their emotions, right? They really feel what other people are feeling. You know, some of us are like a little bit tougher and we're not, we're not you know, I think that all of us, if we're going to truly represent Jesus, 
We all need to have this compassion in our hearts for others. We need to have this, uh, what's the word? Empathy. You know what empathy is? It's not just sympathy, right? Sympathy is when, you know, you kind of feel bad for somebody for what they're going through, and you're like, oh, man, you know, I, I know what that's like. Empathy is you really put that person's problem on yourself. You, you put yourself in their shoes. You imagine what it would be like if that was happening to you. And that's where you allow your feelings of compassion to come from. By experience, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever disappointment they're feeling, if you take that upon yourself, that's, that's what empathy is all about, and that's what compassion is all about. Jesus had compassion. The Bible says that, you know, he looked at the crowds, the people that he, would, he was ministering to, and the Bible said he had compassion on those people because he saw that they were lost and they were helpless. Matter of fact, in, in, uh, in, in the story of Lazarus, remember the story where, where Lazarus dies, and he's been dead for a while, and then his his family is, is grieving his loss and his friends are grieving his loss. And Jesus comes into town and comes to Lazarus' home. And what's the first thing that Jesus does? The Bible tells us in, um, where is it at? In John eleven thirty five and 36, it says, Jesus began to weep. Jesus began to weep. And the Jews said, how, look how deeply he loved him. Because Jesus knew that the only way he could minister to their, their need right in that moment was to mourn with them, was to grieve with them. Here's, here's the savior of the world. Here's the creator of the universe who in an instant could bring Lazarus back to life. And as a matter of fact, he does. But before he brings Lazarus back to life, what does he do? He grieves, he mourns, he has empathy for his friends he has compassion for them. Guys, if we had that kind of compassion for each other, what would our relationships look like? How, how much better would our marriages be? How much better would our families be if we had that kind of compassion for each other? Sometimes the best thing that you can do for someone is in sorrow is to just be present with them in their pain. Sometimes trying to say the right thing is not the right thing. Sometimes just crying with someone is the right thing to do. Let's be more compassionate about the people that are hurting around us. Here's the last part, verse 16 says, live in harmony with each other. What's God telling us? Let your love be peaceful. Let your love be peaceful. And the two key words are humble and merciful. Humble and merciful. Verse 16 says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I love how it says that, ordinary people, right? Like as if we're not ordinary, right? I mean, sometimes when we, we have too much pride, we don't think we're ordinary, right? We think we're pretty special. Well, the reality is, we're all in the same boat. And don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. Do you, you know somebody, right when you read that, in your mind, you see somebody's face because there's someone in your life who knows it all, right? I knew it all at once. Uh, there was a po point in my life where I knew everything and nobody could teach me anything. I was 17 years old. Right? My parents were the stupidest people on the planet. My teachers were dumb. Well, that was partially true, but... I was just, I was the smartest person in the world. I knew everything, right? And then 
I became 18, then I became 19, then I became 20, and I'm like, what's happening? My dad's becoming smarter, and I'm becoming stupider. I know more things, but I know less, right? I'm like, what's, what's going on in my life? We, we know people that think they know everything, right? I thought I knew everything until I realized I didn't know anything. I, I, re- I didn't know hardly anything about life and what it was all about. But if you were to ask me in a moment, oh, I could have told you. I could have told you what life was all about. The Bible says don't be that way. Don't think you know it all. You know what happens when you allow that kind of pride to enter into your life? It, it separates you from people. It makes people take a step back from you. Pride says, I'm better than you, and it pushes people away. While humility draws them in close and says, we've got a lot in common. That's the difference between pride and humility. Can we be humble people? Can we be the kind of people that invite people in close and say, guess what, i got the same problems you got. I don't know it all, but maybe we can figure it out together. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You want to show authentic, real love to somebody. You're going to show patience. You're going to be humble. You're going to be gentle. You're going to make allowance for their mistakes. That's what it means to love someone peacefully. Second word was merciful. Verse 17 says, Don't mistreat someone who has mistreated you. It's kind of becoming a theme in this passage. Don't mistreat someone who has mistreated you, but try to earn the respect of others and do your best to live at peace with everyone. Luke chapter 6 verse 36 pretty much sums this up. It says, Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Guys, the reason that we don't seek revenge The reason that we don't live these vindictive lives where we always have to be on top, right? And if someone someone offends us, we got to get back at them, right? I mean, that's that's the natural tendency that we have. But the reason we don't live life like that is because we want to imitate the Father. We want to be the way God the Father is towards us. And your Father in heaven is merciful. Therefore, you need to be merciful. What if we were merciful? What would our lives look like if we were merciful? If we weren't so hard on people that didn't have it together. If we weren't so hard on people that that upset us. If we didn't try to get even when somebody offended us. But instead we extended mercy. And we're like, like God is for us. Guys, I I think we can sum all this up all these things we've been talking about today. Letting, letting our love be authentic. Letting it be visible. Letting it be enthusiastic. Letting our love be generous. Letting our love be peaceful. I think it could all be summed up in this. See, ultimately, our goal is to be more like our Father. So that each day, we love each other more and more the way He loves us. Guys, that's That's it. That is the answer to having the right kind of relationships, to having the perfect family that we all want. Treating everybody the way the Father treats us. 
guys, think about this. I, I don't deserve the goodness that my father shows me. I don't deserve the mercy, the forgiveness, the compassion that God has for my soul. I, I've, I've done nothing to earn that. But that's all God has for me. All he has for me is mercy. All he has is compassion for me. All he has is love for me. What if I could do the same thing for the other people in my life? What if I could treat other people the way God treats me? I guarantee you everybody would want to hang out with me. (laughs) I would have no end of friends, right? And it is the truth. If you treat people the way God treats you, that's inviting people into your life. That's saying everybody's welcome, everybody's loved, everybody's cared for. If you don't feel that, if you don't feel that at Remnant Church, we're not doing this right. If you don't walk into Remnant and feel like the people here love you and care about you, then we're not doing it right. And we, we work hard, we, we try our hardest to create that kind of environment for you. But if you're not feeling it, you got to start doing it yourself. Like maybe you're the catalyst, right? If you're like, oh, that's not happening enough in here, maybe God is calling you to be that person that creates that environment. Maybe in your own family, maybe right now in your family with whatever's going on, and I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to know what's happening in your family. We were were talking right before the service, and and I was telling a story about a guy who had come up to me after church one day and was, was mad at me. He was, yeah, he was actually angry with me. I thought maybe he might hit me too. But he was just like, who told you? I'm all, well, uh, calm down here. Who told me what? Like, what, what, what happened? He's like, who told you what's going on in my life? I'm like, no one. No one told me anything. Where did you, where did you learn that? I'm like, uh, I was just talking to God and he was talking to me. And, you know, it's like... That's the thing, guys. We, we got to be tuned in. We got to be connected to God. We're not going to be a good representation of who God is. And like I said, I don't know what's going on in your story. Anything that I've said here today that in some way resonated with you or connected with your story, that has nothing to do with me snooping on Facebook, you know, stalking you. That's, that's, not, that's not where that comes from. That's, that's God saying, hey, listen up. I have something for you. And I hope My prayer is that God had something for you today. That something I said was exactly what you needed to hear. And I think God's calling us to make a decision about that. I don't know about you, but every time we open God's word, it's like he he brings us to a place where we need to make a decision. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment and and let's let's just search our hearts right now. And I don't know, again, what your relationships are like. I don't know what your family looks like at this moment, but I do know this. I know there's people in your family that need your love. There are people in your family right now that need you to love them authentically. There are people in your family right now that need your forgiveness, that need your mercy, that need you to treat them the way their heavenly Father wants them to be treated. And you know who that person is. You know the relationships in your life where this is missing. And this is God's call on your heart. This is God's call on your life right now to fix that. And you don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to be like, well, what do I do? What do I do next? You know, what's the next step? No, all you have to do is listen to God. All you have to do is start imitating him. 
Start showing the mercy and the kindness that he showed you. Make your love authentic and real. Don't love the people in your life because there's something you can gain from it. Love them because God loves them. Because they're worthy of your love because God created them. That's the only reason that we love each other. So maybe, maybe God's speaking to you right now and saying, you need to do something about this. And I don't know what that situation is. I don't know what the action is that God wants you to, to do. But I know that if you don't do it, you're going to be pretty miserable. Because the Bible says that to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. In other words, if you know what God wants you to fix and you just ignore it, you're going to be pretty unhappy. God's not going to let up until you fix that. So I challenge you to make it right. Maybe right now in your heart, commit to God and say, God, I'm going I'm I'm to make this right in your power and your strength, with your wisdom, with you backing me. I'm going to make this right. I'm not going to do this for me because it's not something I want to do, but I'm going to do it for you, God, because it's the right thing to do. Make that promise. Make that commitment to him today. And then do it. Make it right. Do what needs to be done. And if you want me to pray for you, I'm happy to pray for you right now. There's power in prayer. I'm happy to pray for you. Lift up your hand and I'll pray for you right now. Lift it up. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. God, I just lift up these, these ones that raise their hands. God, I know there's pain. I know there's, there's hurt there, Father. There's discouragement, maybe even feelings of hopelessness. Whatever it might be, God, I know that it's there and I know that you want to do something about it. You're calling them to take a step of faith to do something a little bit risky, put their feelings out there, be transparent, be vulnerable. Whatever it is you're calling them to do, Father, I pray that they would do it. You give them the strength to do it, God. Help them to step out. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us, Father. Like I said, we don't don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your support, God, but you give it to us and we'll gladly take it, Father. We need it. So thank you, God. Thank you for all you give. Now help us to be faithful to what you're asking us to do today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We'll sing this last song together. And guys, don't don't let it just, don't push it aside. Let God keep working in your heart. Do what he's asking you to do. Do what he's calling you to do. Does that sound good? We're all in this together. We've all got our assignments from God. Let's get after it this week. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com.